Breitbart News Daily. Thank you for being here. In the third hour of the show, we talked about a very interesting moment in the debate. I'm past the debate, but this is bigger than just the debate. Between Vivek and Mike Pence, and it was a very what time is it in America moment where Mike Pence says that we are good, wonderful, amazing people, and we don't match the goodness, or our government doesn't match the goodness of the people. And Vivek is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It is not morning again in America. Uh, it is a dark moment in America. And we need to recognize that in order to get out of it. So it's a very, very important moment. So we talked about which side you're on. Are you on more the the Pence side or the Vivek side? Uh, we're not going to rear that one here, but you can, if you subscribe to SiriusXM, then you can listen to that. That was in the uh, 3 o'clock hour. This is a similar theme, but we were talking about rich men north of Richmond. And... Are any, well, the answer is no. No political candidates are touching on those themes. Now, we had someone call and be like, oh, Slater, uh, Oliver Anthony says he doesn't want his song to be co-opted by a political movement. That's not my point. There are themes here, though, that need to be addressed in our country. More so, even, than from politicians. So we talk about those themes and what we can do about them all right here. Enjoy. has passed away at the age of 49 from pancreatic cancer. How about that? Joe the plumber passed away 49. Man, it's, it's one thing for Bob Barker to pass away. He was 99. But 49. Let us remind ourselves of this iconic moment of Joe the plumber back in Ohio in 2008 when he approached candidate Barack Obama. I'm getting ready to buy a company that makes 200, about $250,000, $270,000, $80,000 a year. Your new tax plan is going to tax me more, isn't it? Well, here's what's going to happen. The, uh, if you're a small business, which you would qualify, first of all, you get a 50% tax credit, so you get a cut on taxes for your health care costs. So you would actually get a tax cut on that front. If your revenue is above 250, then from 250 down, your tax is going to stay the same. It is true that for, say, 250 up from 250 to 300 or so. Well, here's my question. Well, hold on, so I, I just want to answer your question. The, uh, so, the, uh, so for that additional amount, you'd go from 36 to 39%, which is what it was under Bill Clinton. Yeah. So the, uh, and the reason we're doing that is because 95% of small businesses make less than 250. And so what I want to do is give them a tax cut. I want to give all these folks who are you know, bus drivers, teachers, auto workers who make less, I want to give them a tax cut. And so what we're doing is we are saying that for folks who make more than 250, that that marginal amount above 250, they're going to be taxed at a 39 instead of a 36% rate. There are two ways of looking at it. I mean, one way of looking at it is now that you've been more, become more successful. Through hard you, work. Through hard work, you don't want to be taxed as much. Exactly. I, which I understand. But another way of looking at it. Is, <laughs> two ways of looking at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there sure are. I love the Joe the Flo Yeah. Yeah, Barack. That's that's 
the way to look at it, the first way. Hard work. Through hard work, you don't want to be taxed as much, exactly. I, which I understand. But another way of looking at it is 95% of folks who are making less than 250 they may be working hard too, yeah. but th they're being taxed at a higher rate than they would be undermined. So, so what I'm doing is you know, project, put yourself back 10 years ago when you were only making whatever, mm -hmm. 60 or 70. Under my tax plan, you would be keeping more of your paycheck. You'd be having lower taxes, which means that you would have saved and gotten to the point where you are faster. My attitude is that if, if the economy is good for folks from the bottom up, it's going to be good for everybody. If you've got a plumbing business, uh, you're going to be better off if you've got a whole bunch of customers who can afford to hire you. And right now, everybody's so pinched that business is bad for everybody. And, and I think when you spread the wealth around, it's good for everybody. When you spread the wealth around. <laughs> that was it. Joe the plumber passed away at the age of 49. Gosh, I, I almost feel like that moment was the beginning. Like, that, like that's the moment that created. That, that was such a pivotal direction. Like it's, almost, it's almost like Richmond north of Richmond started at that moment. I was thinking before the debate about that song, Rich Men North of Richmond. And I said, oh, I wonder if anyone is going to hit the Rich Men North of Richmond note. Is anyone going to tap into whatever made that song the number one song in America? I was wondering that before the debate. And then sure enough, it was the first question at the debate. Fox News played the part of the song and they didn't take the swear word out so some intern got in trouble but they tr like the debate tried the Fox News tried and they threw it to Ron DeSantis he was the first one to respond to it and he said well people have an alienation a deep frustration with the state of government in this country our country's in decline this decline is not inevitable it's a choice we need to send Joe Biden back to his basement and reverse American decline yeah so he went back to his talking points there. The send Joe to his basement. That's a. That's like when Hillary said, oh, this isn't just a trickle-down economics. This is trumped-up trickle-down economics. Those are just focus-grouped campaign talking points, right? Send Joe back to his basement. It gets an applause when you're giving a stump speech, but that's not, that's not it. Maybe those are the right words, but it didn't hit the right notes. Maybe that's unfair. Maybe you can only hit the right notes with a guitar singing a song. So maybe that's unfair to compare. Well, but I don't know. Political oration is a type of art too. And that, that answer is just not, it's not there. And I'm not criticizing DeSantis. I don't think any of them are hitting that note. Number one song in the country. The entire, and it's not just on iTunes, the billboard charts. He's uh, Oliver Anthony, the first person ever to get the number one song without ever having had a song before. Their first song, number one, debut. That's, that's, that's an unbelievable thing. <laughs> so you have, we, have to, we have to pause and not just be like, wow, that's a really catchy song. We have to pause on that and think why. And you would think that the candidates would have also reflected on this and tried to tap into this because clearly there's something there. I think there's three parts of this song. 
There's two that are more on the surface. They're still very real, but there's two that are on the surface, and then there's the third one that's, I think, a little deeper. I think that's the one that people are truly connecting with, even if um, some may not be able to articulate it perfectly. So let's go through the three of them, and then we'll see if any candidate's touching on it. So we'll see if you agree with the three, if these are problems worth singing about, and uh, and then we'll see if any candidates touch them. The first one, the more explicit one, and not just with the word, but just like more obvious. I've been selling my soul, working all day, overtime hours for blank pay, so I can sit out here and waste my life away, drag back home and drown my troubles away. So there's a couple categories here that I think we need to differentiate. And Joe the Plumber kind of touches on it too. You got people who, first group, you got three groups. First, people who work long hours and make a ton of money. Long hours, ton of money. That has its own stress too. It's a lot of rich people that work 100-hour weeks, never see their families, never see their kids, never have, never do anything. That's not, that, like that's its own problem. So long hours, ton of money. Then you got people who work a few hours or zero and are very wasteful and lazy and all that. And then you get the third group who work long hours and don't make a lot of money. So long hours, a lot of money. No hours, no money. A lot of hours, no money. Those are the three, three categories, right? And I may, maybe there's no hours, a lot of money. I don't know who that, that's, that's the unicorn group, right? So the first group has money, so they can hide their misery behind that. But trust me, there's a lot of misery there with people who work long hours, even if they make a lot of money. The lazy and the wasteful who are poor, they get a lot of attention even if most of those issues are their own fault. But it's the third group, the people who work long hours, hard work, don't make a lot of money. That, that's where it's not sympathy. They don't want sympathy. And they don't even want help. Joe the Plumber wasn't asking for help. He was asking you to get out of my way. Stop, like, knock it off. How about, by the way, the proper answer to that Barack Obama response is let's just lower taxes for everyone. But no. We need, we need a bigger government. Let me just lower the taxes for everyone. Then it's fine. Nope. So I, these people who work long hours and don't make a lot of money, they don't want sympathy, they don't want help. They just want their reward to match the work. And they don't want their jobs shipped overseas. Like the, the uh, debate was in Milwaukee. Masterlock had a manufacturing plant in Milwaukee for almost 100 years and they just told their 400 employees that the factory is moving to Mexico. Right, like that never came up in the debate. There was a Breitbart.com article about that. Never came up in the debate. What are you talking about? How could that not come up? So Oliver Anthony wrote about this. Was this ever addressed in the debate? Has it been addressed anywhere? Forget even the, just the debate format itself. Has any candidate addressed this at all? Here's what Oliver Anthony wrote. He said, my legal name is Christopher Anthony Lunsford. My grandfather was Oliver Anthony. So that name is a dedication not only to him, but 1930s Appalachia where he was born and raised. Dirt floor, seven kids, hard times. In 2010, I dropped out of high school at age 17. I have a GED from Spruce Pine, North Carolina. I worked multiple plant jobs in Western North Carolina, my last being at the paper mill. I worked third shift, six hours a week for $14.50 an hour in a living hell. In 2013, I had a bad fall at work, fractured my skull, forced me to go back home to Virginia. Due to complications from the injury, it took me six months or so before I could work again. 
From 2014 until just a few days ago, I've worked outside sales in the industrial manufacturing world. My job has taken me all over Virginia and the Carolinas, getting to know tens of thousands of other blue-collar workers on job sites and in factories. I've spent all day, every day, for the last 10 years hearing the same story. People are so damn tired of being neglected, divided, and manipulated. In 2019, I paid $97,000 for the property and still owe 60 grand on it. I'm living in a 27-foot camper with a tarp on the roof that I got off Craigslist for 750 bucks. There's nothing special about me. I'm not a good musician. I'm not a very good person. I've spent the last five years struggling with mental health and using alcohol to drown it. I'm sad to see the world and the state it's in with everyone fighting with each other. I've spent many nights feeling hopeless that the greatest country on earth is quickly fading away. So working in a paper mill used to be enough to provide for a family. Now you get fourteen fifty. It's a eight hour day that's hundred sixteen bucks a day. Times thirty days, three thousand five hundred a month. So you're making under twenty nine K a year. Did anyone speak to that? Does any candidate speak to that? Let's talk about just economically. Does anyone speak to that economically even? Second issue is welfare. 21% of Americans are on welfare. But it's more than that. That doesn't include unemployment. How about all the people? Like where are all the people who used to work at places? Like, I, we still go to places. Do you still have this experience too? You'll go to a, we were at a, a restaurant the other day. Puckett's uh, barbecue joint family was in town we'll go to we'll go to this barbecue place and uh like oh dude, we got it's a wait I'm like oh there's a bunch of tables what's going on uh we don't we don't have enough people <laughs> we don't have enough people there's still not enough people working at stores or working in restaurants where did everyone go and how is everyone paying their bills those people who used to be working here where are they now what are they doing now and what's how are they paying the electric bill i don't understand how it's working how is the economy working at all? So there's a lot, 21% of Americans are on welfare. There's a lot of people who are not working. So this leads to an unsustainable amount of bitterness and resentment. Socially, you need a country where people are working, where everyone's working. So here's what you got. You got a, uh, you have people working, making a lot of money who are paying for all this. So that leads to bitterness. And then you have the working class who's working super hard and making less than the person who's on welfare doing nothing, that leads to major bitterness and resentment and class animosity and anger. It's like, hold on, I just worked at the paper mill. I just worked at the paper mill in a living hell for eight hours a day, six days a week, and I make less than that guy who's literally doing nothing? That's not going to work. Has anyone spoken to that? All right, here's the, the third issue addressed in this song. And I think this is the real one. I think this is the real reason why the song has resonated more than any paycheck issue. This line right here. That's it. Living in the new world with an old soul. 
think most people are looking for a return not even not even just the economic not even the bigger paycheck and not even stopping with the welfare payments of the guy with the fudge rounds right five foot three three hundred pounds it's not it's not even just that that's obvious yes but i think people are looking to a return of the good old days beyond economic prosperity they're looking for the social good old days and what that means i think socially the good old days i think that's the simplicity of the good old days i think that's what people are looking for i think people are looking for the simplicity of back in the day for all of human history there's always been poor people there have always been people who worked really hard for not a lot of pay. There's always been serfs who work really hard for no pay. But it didn't matter as much. Or I should say it wasn't as, it wasn't as soul crushing because he had everything else. Right? You had everything else. You had the things that actually make life worth living. You had the connection. You had the family, the friends, the community. A connection to a higher power, an eternal purpose. You had these things, and sure, work stinks. But at least then you have all the other stuff. But when you don't have the other stuff, and then work stinks, it's like, well, what are we doing here? I think people are looking for that, the simplicity. The simplicity of the good old days. Things are too fast. Things are too fast. Things are too disconnected. I think people want peace. For most humans... Who have lived on the planet. Nothing ever changed in their lifetime. Ever. <laughs> Nothing would change at all. We've talked before about cathedrals. That took 800 years to build. 800 years. Nothing changed in any of those people's lifetimes. So I'm working on this cathedral. My dad worked on it. His dad, his dad, his dad, his dad, his dad, his dad. For 800 years. And we were all building the, the roof of this thing. <laughs> Not. Nothing ever changed for 800 years. Now, in a way, that's boring. I like there's pros and cons. I get it. In a way, that's boring, but it's also stable. And right now, we're living in a time of, of deep instability. So at least that was stable. This is unstable, instable. And people feel that. New world, old soul. Do you think that's it? So how does a, how does a candidate speak to that? And again, maybe they, maybe a can, maybe one can't in a way that a song can. But I don't know. I don't a, a good a good national leader should be able to speak to it. Here's what Oliver Anthony wrote. He said, "That being said, I hate the way the internet has divided all of us. The internet is a parasite that infects the minds of humans and has their way with them." Hours wasted, goals forgotten, loved ones sitting in houses with each other distracted all day by technology. 
made by the hands of other poor souls in sweatshops in a foreign land. Man, that, that is just, that's such a perfect. Hours wasted, goals forgotten, loved ones sitting in houses with each other, distracted, with each other distracted all day. So they're not even sitting with each other. They may be in houses, but different rooms, distracted all day by technology made by the hands of other poor souls in sweatshops in a foreign land. Yeah, but we're, they're cutting fruit in half with their finger. So it's okay. They're productive. <laughs> they're swiping fruit. When is enough enough? When are we going to fight for what is right again? Millions have died protecting the liberties we have. Freedom of speech is such a precious gift. Never in world history has the world had the freedom it currently does, but let them take it away. Don't let them take it away from you. Just like the once wandering in the desert, we have lost our way from God and have let false idols distract us and divide us. It's a damn shame. I think that speaks, that's what he's talking about. I think that's what, the simplicity, the, the simplicity and the connectedness of life. One last part. People in the music industry gave me blank stares when I brush off $8 million offers. I don't want six tour buses, five tractor trailers, and a jet. That's the simplicity point. <laughs> That's it. I don't want to play stadium shows. I don't want to be in the spotlight. I wrote the music I wrote because I was suffering with mental health and depression. These songs have connected with millions of people on such a deep level because they're being sung by someone feeling the words in the very moment they were being sung. Unlike, we got to send Joe to his basement. That's not it. No editing, no agent, no BS, just some idiot in his guitar. The style of music that we should have never gotten away from in the first place. That's it. That is the line of it all. There are so many things that we should have never gotten away from in the first place. <laughs> there are so many things that we should have never gotten away from in the first place. Just talking to Alex Marlowe about this song. Last week, maybe two weeks ago. And he said, it's a great song. He said, it's almost too sad to talk about. So he said something like that. I disagree. I love it. And I know he likes it too, but I, I love talking about it. I love leaning into it. I'm very comfortable with the lament. I'm very comfortable with the Jeremiah. I'm very comfortable with the dirge. That's what this is. It's a dirge. It's a funeral dirge. It's a funeral song for the American dream that's fading away. And I think it's really important to spend some time here. Even on a Monday, at, it's 526. <laughs> I think this is a great time to sit here. I mean, I guess, I don't know. What else can we do right now? We could do your, your uh, top 40 morning show. Hey, everybody. Did you see Izzy Azalea yesterday? She was in Saudi Arabia. It was an amazing show. It's Saudi Arabia. We could do that, I guess. That seems like a huge waste of time. I don't have any buzzers here. I used to have a board with buzzers. I could play some buzzers and stuff. You could spend your life on uppers. <laughs> Cover your eyes, ignore reality, but I'd rather know what I'd rather know what was and then what could be. And then assess and lament. And then hope. Because you, you got to end on hope. You never end on a lament. No lament ends. No good lament ends in lament. It's got to end in hope. You can't live in lament. 
Don't go to lament unless you unless you have the hope at the end. You can't do that. That's a dangerous place to go. You're, you're jumping in a, in a pit with no ladder out. You can't do that. Be very careful. Before you jump into the lament pit, make sure there's a way out. So what's the way out? When he performed that song live for the first time, he added, Lord. He knows that that is the ultimate answer. No politician, no policy. It's not, uh, well, Joe, uh, if, I, if we lower the tax rate, if we, if we raise the tax rate from what it was now to, to what it was with Bill Clinton to 39%, then we'll spread the wealth around and then everyone will be doing better off and so will you and people behind you and 20 years ago you will be better. And that's none of that nonsense. That's not the answer. By the way, with Barack Obama, it was never about tax rates. <laughs> Could you, oh, oh man. The, the simple days of when it was just about tax rates. Oh, remember that? Remember when it was just, when it was just arguing about tax rates? But here's the thing. Even back in 2008 with Joe, with uh, Barack it was never about tax rates. It was about fundamentally transforming America. And here it is. This is it. This is, this is your fundamentally transformed America. How's it going? Going good? Happy? Everyone's good? Okay, great. Never mind then. Forget this whole segment. Everything's swell. It was never about tax rates. It was always about fundamentally transforming America. Lord, it's a damn shame what the world's gotten to for people like me and people like you. He knows that that's the answer. And I, I can't expect a politician to speak like that, but that's what people are really craving. And that's what I think. And I don't mean that this is not a Trump segment, but just because this, this expression has become more than Trump. Make America great again. That, that's what it means to me. And I guess, I don't know, what does it mean to you? The, le the, left mean, the left says it means that you want to put black people back in chains, y'all, and return to Jim Crow. That's how the left characterizes it. Of course not that. Some people, I think, do the Make America Great Again, and they do it on an economic thing. Like, oh, we're going to be uh, like economic, economically prosperous again. I'm sure that's part of it, right? And that's, that's good. I'm not saying it's bad. Of course it's good. But to me, Make America Great Again is something, it's much, I think it's more profound, I think it's more sincere, I think it's more important than that. It's beyond politics even. I don't, I don't know fully what it is. I don't even, I don't know. I don't know fully what it is. I just know that it's, it's something about connection, and and simpler times. It's something like that. It's something there. It's a slower pace with more connection with family and friends and community. That's the secret to happiness. And I think that that brings so much contentment that you can live a vibrant, joyful life even working in hell at a paper mill at fourteen fifty an hour. But when you have fourteen fifty an hour at a paper mill and none of those things, that's not gonna work.
866-95-PATRIOT. 866-95-PATRIOT. What is, is there something there? I don't know, my, my way, way off. So first of all, has any candidate gotten close to the song and what the song says? And then what does Make America Great Again mean to you? What's the again? Again, the left is like, oh, you, you want slavery again. <laughs> Get out of here, fools. What does it mean to you? What, what's that thing lacking? What is that thing lacking that we need to get back to? Because I'd like to. I'd like to get back to it. We gotta know what it is. Welcome back to Breitbart News Daily. Thanks for being here. Every Monday at 7 o'clock, we talk with Dan Gaynor. And with Dan, we were talking about the mugshot a lot with Trump. So we wanted to play the segment we did after that, uh, which was all about Trump's mugshot and how the left just doesn't get it. It's so bizarre. They just don't get it. And I don't think they ever will. Here it is. Dan, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. There's only crazy stuff going on in the world, so it keeps us both in business. As as always, indeed. Uh, coming up in the next segment, I want to talk more about the the mugshot, uh, but I want to get your take on it. It's fascinating how flabbergasted many in the media are. They're just aghast that Trump would dare to make that face and then use it to fundraise and he's made seven million dollars like the 24 hours after the mugshot came out uh they just can't fathom <laughs> that he would do such a thing how can they still be so clueless well i mean they're deliberately clueless because they they don't want to accept that he refuses to give in mm. to what is it doesn't matter whether you support Trump or somebody else. What is most obviously the most corrupt series of prosecutions or persecutions our country has ever seen. You know, whether, whether you want Trump to win or not, you have to admit that the Democrats are not just putting their thumb on the scale. They are jumping up and down in the scale trying to cause one result. They want, you know, they've made it clear for some time, they want a damaged Donald Trump to win the nomination because they think they can beat him, although now they're worried about that too. Uh, but the idea that you know, no matter what face he made, if he had smiled, they would have said he's showing contempt for the uh, system. Yeah, if he was blank, I mean, you know, this is pre-written <laughs> content. Yeah. Uh, on, on one point you mentioned, so Vivek this weekend just got railed by the lamestream all over the Sunday talk show stuff, right? And it's funny to watch, and, and this has happened forever. The, the guns come pointing at the, the front runner, Vivek's you know, second in line, whatever. So, uh, but it's just further proof that even if there was no Trump, this is how the media will behave, how they've always behaved. But a new standard for who you should support for president, and there's a bunch of different things, right? But one of the new ones is, can this man that you're thinking about electing, can he withstand incessant blows? Just without ceasing forever, even to the point of potentially arresting you. Like, is that, are you the type of person who can withstand that? And uh, to your point, Trump is. 
Well, and I mean, for people who support Ron DeSantis, and Ron DeSantis has done conservative stuff in Florida, not complaining about that, but haven't you seen the endless media accounts saying he's worse than Trump? Well, if he is, according to all sorts of major media, worse than Trump, then what do you think they're going to do to him? Do you think they're going to let him win without accusing him of crimes and prosecuting him? Because newsflash, they will prosecute him because they, they've crossed the Rubicon. Uh, they, they've decided that there are, there's no point that they will not go. You know, the, the day of January 6th, Donald Trump urged people to peaceful protest. Nevertheless, the media are trying to say that he's involved in something that didn't even happen. There was no insurrection. just didn't happen. Yeah, there was a riot. We've had those countlessly. I grew up in Baltimore. Baltimore's nickname for, you know, almost 200 years has been Mob Town. <laughs> so, you know, there's a reason for that, because we used to have riots all the time. Uh, you know, this is... This is ridiculous on the part of the media, and to the point now where they complain democracy is at threat. I wrote a piece for Fox last week about this. They've they've started a new initiative at the Washington Post, this ongoing series by Dan Balls, uh, this veteran political reporter, complaining about the threat to democracy. So if you don't acknowledge there's a threat to democracy, you're a threat to democracy. Well, yeah, this is great. It's so I'm so glad I read this article. Of course, it's so, I'm so glad you did a deep dive on this this uh, newfound uh, love of this democracy. What, what do they mean when they say democracy? What are they talking about? Well, what they mean is them in charge. So, so when they complain about the Supreme Court being a threat to democracy, which they do all the time, and they want to pack the court, what they're saying is they don't control it. When they complain about the Constitution being, a, you know, oh, people are manipulating the Constitution, what they mean is they can't win with the current rules. They can't change the Constitution. So they go to all these experts, and they do this constantly. The post of you know, somebody from Berkeley who wants to change the Constitution, somebody from, you know, another another liberal outlet, wants, another liberal college wants to change the Constitution. They they find these people who all agree with them, and then they quote them saying, "Well, the system's bad. The system, you know, they foundationally don't like the current system because." It doesn't work for them. There are a bunch of states that have senators that they can't control. So you know, all you have to do is mentally imagine how they would be acting if the situation were reversed, if they, if they controlled a lot of the small states and Republicans controlled New York and California and such. Then they'd be saying, well, we can't change the system. Yeah, then they'd be status quo. They simply are power players. That's what they're doing to Trump. That's what they want to do to all of us. In fact, uh, Balls wrote a piece over the weekend complaining about the Republican debate. Oh, they had the, the word democracy in the background, but they didn't talk about it because they don't think there's a threat. Or if they do, they think the threat is the people who are trying to lock up the presumptive Republican candidate. Yeah, the only threat to democracy I can think of is our votes not being counted accurately. Like, that's it. Like that. What? Like the root of it is okay. We all vote, and the majority wins. Like right? Isn't that like the root of democracy? But if we can't count the votes, and we can't trust the votes. Then that's that's the biggest threat to democracy. 
Well, and if you go back uh, like 10 years or so, uh, maybe even more like 15, the black box voting, what it was called, the idea that your vote is counted electronically, was a huge liberal issue that they they constantly complained about, you know, these big tech companies that gather the votes and then count them and you can't even see it. You don't know. And they would find examples of somebody's, oh, my vote, uh, they printed out, it looked different than what I voted. And that was the big complaint. But now, just as they control Wall Street, they think they have they think they have their hooks into you know the whole system, and they've worked very hard to do that. This it's very I think it's fascinating that they've cho- chosen to weaponize this term because it's weird. It's, uh, people think it's good. Like, I, I, I guess it focus grouped well, right? Because people are like, yes, democracy, good. <laughs> so they could just say, oh well, then these guys are attacking it, and then we're like, oh, they're bad. It's it's that simple. Well, and I mean, of course, of course, the people who, you know, if Republicans complain about elections now, they're anti-democracy, not Democrats. Of course, Democrats have played about, complained about elections for decades, but they're not anti-democracy because that's just them expressing their opinion. So you end up with this, like everything in our country now, a two-tier justice system where if you complain and you're on the right, you are anti-democracy. If you complain on the left, you know, you're, you're righteous. Yeah, I'm trying to find this article. It was in The Atlantic a week or two ago. And the, again, this is coming from all the, the, demo, the pro-democracy people. As you wrote in your article, the democracy is under attack. Democracy dies in darkness. All this democracy, democracy. And it was an article in The Atlantic about how we should stop with democracy and we should have... Uh, random did you read this I, I can't I forget what the headline was and I can't find it about uh, we should just like randomly assign people to different jobs in, of government did, did oh, you yeah, ever heard? because they yeah, I remember this yes they don't believe in democracy <laughs> they, they said well you know, <laughs> this, I mean, this is the classic they want to pack the Supreme Court because it didn't work out well for them that the uh, you know, the, the democracy, and you'll see in the Washington Post article, they talked about how, you know, four or nine were picked, uh, you know, d- during a time when uh, the votes, the majority of people who voted were from a minority of the population. Yes, that's what's called a republic. That's how that happens. But so in the Atlantic, they went even further and saying, oh, well, voting doesn't pick the best people. Yep. And and so we shouldn't vote. I mean, they... <laughs> Yeah, we, sh- we should be in charge of picking the people. Well, it's like, well, who's we? Yeah, this, uh, and we is them. <laughs> you know, and, and I mean, this is this is how you end up with a crisis of uh, you know the experts when you put out when when your whole media is filled with lunatic experts from academia who don't live in the real world who want to change the way things are because their side's not winning. Well, then you get kooky stuff that argues against democracy, argues for packing Supreme Court, argues against the Constitution. Oh, well, you know, the people who oppose a majority vote for elections, uh, they're against, you know, against freedom. No, we're just going by the system we have. Sorry if we don't want to change it because we know you want to change it. This is the people who want to do uh, ranked choice voting. Every time 
people come at you and say, well, we want to change the way the system is done in American Republic. Every time they do it, assume they're doing it so they can manipulate it. People who they talk about gerrymandering. Both sides gerrymander. <laughs> yeah, I lived in the most gerrymandered district in the United States in, in Maryland. And you look at this insanely manipulated district circling all around Baltimore and going south because Democrats run Maryland. But the media never talk about how Democrats gerrymander. And no matter what you come up with, if you came up with a system tomorrow that says we're going to start every redistricting from the right of the state and move left or from the center of the, uh, the major cities and move out, every system you have, somebody has plugged the numbers in to their computer and say, oh, we'll benefit more from this than your mm -hmm. system. Of course. It's all gerrymandering. Uh, did you live in the third congressional district? <laughs> yes. Yes. That. It's unbelievable. Everyone Google the third. <laughs> Google Maryland third district. Yeah, it's hilarious. It almost looks like they're not even connected. There's like these little pockets, but they're, they must be connected by like a street for many miles to connect I, one pocket and to I another mean, it's, pocket. It's so bad. People don't, people don't know what district they, they live in. Yeah, of course. And yeah, and then, so and then the get, second, you know, the, the second, like, like goes like same thing. Like the the third and the second <laughs> move all around the state. Oh, it's great. Like wrap around each other like a cancer. That's oh, insane. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's so bad that the previous Democratic governor admitted that it was that it was gerrymandering. No, of course. Let me go. Um, so, Dan, I don't know if you heard, but Joe the plumber passed away at uh, the age of no, 40. I didn't. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah, just passed age, age of forty nine. Um, we kicked off the show. We played that moment from 2008 with him and Barack Obama. And uh, at the end of the comment, Joe said, uh, you know, it's, uh, we spread the wealth around. That was his line. Um, what did, like, I know I'm just hitting you with it now, but what was, what was that moment? Cause that was, that's an iconic moment. Like everyone, Joe, the plumber, like everyone knows Joe, the plumber. That was 15 years ago. Uh, but we still know the name and the, the moment. Uh, why? What, what did that, sh what did that show? What, what was that moment? I mean, that moment he went viral, and that was still early enough. I mean, yes, I know I've been working online now for, I guess, 28 years or so. But social media, you know, is still about half that age. I've been on Twitter or X or whatever you call it for like half for 15 years, and so when he spoke to Obama and challenged him, had the audacity of being a generic, ordinary, working-class white guy challenging the elite's multiracial candidate. They spent days, weeks, months, and years trying to destroy the man. How dare he raise a question that voters raise? How dare he challenge the elite? And so they went after him. And you see it now. He was one of the... I wouldn't say the first, but one of the early examples of social media cancellation. Mm, yeah. We are going to destroy this guy no matter what because he dared to, you know, to challenge. And so now we see, you know, you go on from that to where we are now, where literally they have arrested the pre presumptive presidential mm -hmm. candidate for a political <laughs> yeah. party. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's just it's all an, all an evolution from that. You can't go to a college and speak out. If you do, you'll you'll get kicked out. You can. Get, I was reading today how uh, on just the news how um, uh, you know a group was actually debanked from Bank America yeah. because they do charity work in Africa and the bank doesn't agree with the charity work. So I mean that's. We've gone from canceling him to now people live in fear that their businesses, at their jobs, at their careers or their school, they'll lose it all if they say the wrong thing or don't even say the wrong thing. If you don't say the right thing. Yeah, yeah, you have to actively. Yeah, you have to actively support. That's the next step of it. Uh, Dan Gaynor, independent media critic, freelance editor. Dan Gaynor, follow him on Twitter and you can find that most recent article about uh, how the left doesn't really care about democracy, even though that's all they talk about. Dan, appreciate you. Great to talk to you. Thanks, man. You have a great day. Take you care. as well. We'll do it next week. I'm American made. I got American parts. I got American Thanks for listening to Pride Parts News Daily. My email, by the way, I should just I should always start off with this. I apologize. Slater at Breitbart.com, Slater at Breitbart.com, Slater Radio on the Twitter if you want to reach me there as well. See you tomorrow. Spread the word. I'm in love.